Today's guest is the grassroots and constituent expert for the well-known organization whose mission is to honor and empower wounded warriors. Join us as we explore the importance of advocating for our wounded servicemen and women. Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard. Welcome to Season 5 of the Voices in Advocacy podcast, and I'm Roger Rickard, President and Founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire educate and engage and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts for their organizations, be they corporations, associations, trade organizations, and nonprofit cause groups. Now, let's get started. On today's show, we have the privilege to speak with grassroots and constituent director for the Wounded Warrior Project, Justin Beeland. Justin serves as Wounded Warrior Project's grassroots and constituent affairs director, where he utilizes 23 years of experience in grassroots advocacy, public policy, and creating innovative engagement strategies. He has previously worked on behalf of veterans at organizations like the American Orthotic and Prosthetic Association, the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, and the Children's Hospital Association. In addition, addition, Justin has designed government relations and grassroots campaigns for a broad range of issues that serve the public good. He worked with Congress to increase support for federal funding for prostate cancer research increased access to treatment options for people with opioid addiction and created a nationwide program led by the country's lieutenant governors to increase heart health. Justin earned a BA in communications and a BS in English from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and an MFA in creative writing from George Mason University. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome Justin Beeland to today's show. Welcome, Justin. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Well, I am excited for this uh, conversation today, as uh, naturally, I think uh, at least most of us should be, uh, have a soft heart for the heroes that went out and uh, and and gave uh, for our freedoms. Absolutely. So yeah. So, so let's begin by telling our listeners really who you serve. Yeah, so the Wounded Warrior Project began uh, in 2003. Uh, Actually, our basis was in grassroots. We were a small grassroots effort providing simple care and comfort items uh, to the hospital bedsides of the first wounded service members who were returning home from the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. So uh, we started out just kind of uh, giving backpacks full of, um, you know, things that we thought that the returning veterans would need as they kind of reacclimated to uh, to the life in the United States. And 
Um, as their post-service needs evolved, uh, we grew. Uh, we grew our programs and services, and uh, here we are very close to being uh, at our exactly our 20th, 20th anniversary, um, and we have direct programs in mental health, career counseling, long-term rehabilitative care, um, and of course, we have uh, an we have a whole advocacy wing. Uh, we're on the Hill, um, and so uh, really working as much as we can to improve the lives of millions of uh, post-9-11 veterans. Well, that's great work and, and great expansion over that time period. In my research, I found that Wounded Warrior Project has eight areas that you class as legislative priorities. Uh, can you provide insight into a couple of those? Sure. Yeah, and and we are if 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 it's an issue that affects uh, post nine eleven veterans, we are all in. So we do a lot around mental health and suicide prevention. Uh, we do a great deal around women veterans. Uh, we're actually having a fly in uh, in September dedicated solely to our, our women warriors. So um, that's a big part of it. Uh, financial security. Uh, one of our biggest pieces of legislation is called the Major Richard Starr Act. Uh, this is a bill that would allow military retirees with at least uh, twenty years of service who were rated at least fifty percent. Disabled uh, to collect their full DOD retirement pay and their full uh, VA disability compensations with no offset. As the law is written now, um, it doesn't matter if you're medically retired at 19 years and 360 days, um, you didn't complete your 20 years of service, so you are not going to get your DOD retirement pay, which obviously we can uh, all agree is probably not good. You've earned that money uh, with your service and you should be getting it. And so uh, happy to say that bill recently passed out of committee um, in the House, and so hopefully we'll get that across the finish line uh, by the end of um, this Congress. Uh, the other piece of legislation that's big for us uh, it revolves around toxic exposure. Uh, there was a bill passed in the last Congress called the PACT Act, uh, and that bill uh, added uh, numerous um, uh, new uh, uh, comorbidities to what where where you could collect benefits. So if you had exposure to burn pits, if you had exposure to other toxic uh, environments while you were serving, um, the the VA will now recognize uh, any of the um, issues that you might have that stem from that and um, adjust your 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 benefits accordingly. And so, a big part of what we're doing now is making sure that's implemented correctly. It was a massive law that was passed last year. Um, we need to make sure that it is being implemented and that those veterans can get the help they need. Yeah, and that became quite a a, a public issue. And Absolutely. You had, a, you had a lot of great support from people like John Stewart that, that, that came out and really raised the awareness. of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, I got to do, um, I call them hill visits, but I think as we know them, they weren't really hill visits. They were just John Stewart walking into offices and saying, who do I talk to to get this done? So uh, it's it's really, it was really kind of amazing to see him at work. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it does help sometimes to have uh, a, a little bit of celebrity behind uh, oh, for sure. behind the cause uh, in that. So what are the different ways that you have your advocates, the people who are the wounded players and, and, and the supporters, how do you get them to engage with policymakers? So, yeah, so we have two fly-ins a year, uh, as, as most organizations do, I'm sure. So we'll do one in March uh, that's open to any, any warrior. And then, as I mentioned, we do one in the fall specifically for women warriors because women warriors have their own uh, set of priorities, uh, making sure that the VA can provide adequate care, making sure that we're addressing uh, MST, military sexual trauma, uh, as well as we can. And so these are all very women warrior-focused issues. Um but we kind of—I uh, don't want to—I don't want to imply that we're reinventing the wheel. It's—it's—it's it's, it's really hitting our warriors where they live and saying, you know, you have a voice. Um, we have 
lobbyists here that do a really, really great job, but you have the voice and the experience to go to the Hill and talk about your toxic, toxic exposure, your military sexual trauma, these things that they need to hear from you, your legislators. Um, and so uh, it's really a lot of uh, uh, in-person um, meetings with our folks kind of getting them ginned up about this. And uh, to a man, they all really appreciate being able to use their voice to do this. Um, as you can imagine, they come home with um, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, you know, traumatic brain injury, these things. Our organization primarily serves to get them through all that. But then on the other side, we have found that just across the board, they say, what else can I do? How do I help? I've been through the ringer. I feel like I'm coming out the other side. How do I tell this story? Um, and so it's my job and my team's job to really harness that energy and, and get it to the hill. I, I, I think that's absolutely excellent. Uh, a lot of advocacy work uh, is is broken down into kind of two categories, if you will, the grass tops yep. and the and the grassroots. Do you do you use both? And, yeah. And then who would who would be in your grass tops? So we have a, a really dedicated group. Uh, these are folks that have come to just about every fly-in, that answer every email, that always they're the first people to respond when you send those emails. Uh, and we call them Warrior Advocate Leaders, or WALLS for short. Um, it's a smaller group, but uh, as I say, they're the ones that we can absolutely always rely on to go to bat for us, which is really, really cool. Um, uh, they... Uh, we haven't started this part of the program yet, but they'll be building uh, cohorts, networks, whatever you want to call it, within their own congressional districts to really kind of get our messages out there. But they're the ones at the top of that proverbial advocacy pyramid that are kind of leading that charge. Um, and then, of course, we've got you know the email address, uh, email uh, pushes and social media pushes that we do where the general folks can get involved. Um, but we do differentiate between warrior advocate leaders as grass tops and the general grass tops population, grassroots population. Sorry. Yeah. So you have your walls, which yep. I love that. I love that acronym. Uh, Thank you. Warrior advocate leaders. Uh, I, I love that. Ad, uh, I love that. Uh, so you use them to help recruit additional uh, warriors to the cause. Yep, absolutely. They uh, and they're fantastic about it. They say, you know, I went to DC for three days and I got all this done, and they're showing pictures and they do a you know a fantastic job really spreading a message that we don't have the bandwidth to spread back in their home districts. Um, we wish you could be everywhere, but we can't. So um, that's one of the jobs they're charged with, and they do a great job at it. So you mentioned your fly-ins uh, uh, in March for any uh, wounded warrior, and yep. then in September for the women warriors. Uh, what brought about creating that separate one for women, which I think is a really smart idea. Thank you. Thank you. It was um, just learning, talking to those women veterans and realizing that uh, they just had um, unique needs that obviously uh, men don't have. Like I said, it's, you know, they're going to the VA, uh, you know, to get a mammography and they just don't have the, a mammogram, I'm sorry, and they just don't have the the equipment and they're just not used to the kind of differentiation of care that's really required for women veterans. Um, they, uh, as again, um, you know, can the VA handle issues of military sexual trauma or not? Um, are they comfortable talking about that? So realizing that um, a lot of the women that came to our general popular uh, populace fly-in events weren't comfortable kind of talking about those things. For instance, we, uh, you know, we did a fly-in and the staffer as, as is want to happen said, Oh, let's just meet in the cafeteria. And this woman warrior is trying to tell her story about military sexual trauma and she's in a crowded cafeteria. She's not going to do it. So really kind of, knowing that they uh, we have a, it's a different kind of uh, audience, different group of advocates, um, really kind of giving them their own unique platform to be able to do this was very important to us. 
And I would imagine the key to success then is, is finding the staffer that they would feel comfortable being able to share that with. That's exactly uh, right. So That's when you're exactly in the right. scheduling process of these fly-ins, making sure that you've got the right people sitting in the room yeah. on the side of the member of Congress. Exactly. And and sitting in the room is the key uh, term there. Like, we can't meet in the hallway. We can't meet in the cafeteria. Sorry, we can't do it. We know you're, you know you're uh, itching for space, but we just can't do that. So. Yeah, and we and we realize the, the, the restraints and constrictions that, uh, that, that have been put on that. Uh, you know, it used to be you tried to bring in as many people as you could during a fly-in to yeah. kind of flood the place. Uh, Post-COVID, post-January 6th, Absolutely. Uh, the changes that are out there, how many people do you think is the right number of people to bring into a fly-in now? So our first fly-in back from COVID, we did 50, um, and we thought uh, we can do better than that. So we brought in 75 this past March. Um, and actually, we're just going to leave it there. We think it's a really good number. Um, we hit a, um, I think it was like 120 or so congressional offices, a lot of those in person with legislators. Um, so we thought, all right, making sure that we're being very cognizant of donor dollars, which help finance our fly-ins, is it really going to move the needle if we bring in 25 more and you know we all sat down and thought probably not you know we hit up uh, the, the key folks that we needed to hit on the relevant house and senate committees um everybody got to meet with their own hometown legislator so 75 is about where we cap it um you know eventually down the road as our program goes we might go bigger but for now that's where we're staying do you also then follow up with uh, in district meetings uh, particularly using your walls there yeah, that's absolutely right. In fact, we are scheduling a call for uh, uh, in a couple of weeks in July to kind of map out um, which walls are going to go see their folks in district. Um, really, for our team, where are we going to go? Because we got to book our travel to kind of help them out and, and back this all up. And so absolutely, yes, that's a big part of what they do. So do you have any training programs? I mean, the, the, these warriors uh, did very unique jobs uh, in our military service and always had training and always feel comfortable knowing yeah, absolutely. That, uh, <laughs> that they've been backed up with that. So how do you train them to become even more effective and influential advocates? So we do uh, two webinars per month for the warrior advocate leaders. Um, and we're still sort of in that phase. And I should, I should say, this is a relatively new program. Um, WWP had not been doing grassroots since I came on board about, about a year ago. And so we've really kind of just grown this um, very, very, um, methodically um, and we're thinking it through but so now we're at a level where we've got warrior advocate leaders and we're doing two webinars a month really kind of um at that 101 phase like these are our legislative priorities this is how to talk about them for our july webinar like i said it's going to be here's your district scheduler here's how to reach out here's how to make that that appointment but as we go on we'll really be getting into the 101 uh, into the heavy stuff of here's the budget process here's um you know the and in-depth look at elections and things like that so um that's kind of a we, we kind of thought of it as school for them but they really when we talked to them they said well it's just a bonus i get to learn all this very cool stuff so yeah, and get that inside baseball. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and we all know that our time is precious when we're meeting with uh, uh, particularly members of Congress. Absolutely. Know, but, but the same with staff. And it's, you know, you usually get that 15 minute window. Right. Exactly. In, in there. And so, you know, how do you prepare them to be able to walk them through fast enough? Yeah. Uh, and, and effectively enough to be able to add in those personal stories that, that, uh, we all know touch them very, very much. Absolutely. Do you, do you coach them uh, 
and I don't mean this in a negative way. I mean it in a, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. And I can't, it, it's not coming to mind right now, but do you prepare them in how to tell that story? Absolutely. So yes. that it meets that timeline and gets the point across. Absolutely. So during our fly-ins, you know, we spend a lot of time, of course, saying these are our legislative priorities, but I, we also strongly emphasize you don't have to know bill numbers. We're going to be in the room. We're going to talk about bill numbers. We're going to talk about CBO scores. We're going to talk about all that crap. You just need to say, this is the experience that I've had. I was a, you know, I was on the forward line when I was in combat. I was at working around burn pits and now I have lung cancer, even though I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. You, Those are the sorts of things you need to focus on, how this is affecting you and your family, your caregiver, all of those sorts of things. So it's, I would say that we are really imbalanced in terms of coaching for storytelling versus coaching for policy you know we can tell we, we can cover the policy that's right uh and they don't need to get into the weeds of the sausage exactly they, exactly the, 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 the whole point of them being there is is to be able to communicate uh things that affect them personally Absolutely. And we, we have the added advantage of, uh, I said we had a, a large proportion of in-person meetings. Uh, I've learned in my career, you bring children or veterans or celebrities to the Hill, you're going to meet with the legislator. And so that, that it's, a, it's an advantage for us. Great photo ops. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I, no, I, and I mean that in all the, all the great sense of that. Uh, you have a history in developing creative engagement strategies. Um, and I think that in the work that I do, naturally, engagement is is the most important part of this. How do how do we get people inspired enough to want to engage, then educate them, and then get them active, you know, in in, in that process? So, share with me a, a great example of one of these strategies that you've created. Yeah, so I worked for a, a number of years for the Children's Hospital Association, and that uh, has just been weirdly been a great launching point for a lot of great roots, uh, grassroots uh, advocates in D.C. Matthew Wright uh, came in after me. Um, and so uh, we developed, when I was there, uh, a program called Speak Now for Kids, which is still going. So it was a, a combination of a, a really meeting of the minds with our group, a lot of the hospitals, um, the communications team. Um, we realized that there were all of these uh, um, uh, councils within the children's hospitals you had family councils and and teen councils and you know people who were really like okay someone I, i've been through this i was at the hospital and i know the experience when a new person comes in i really want to be able to help them get through this and you know be there and cheer them on so they're not as scared these were all very very siloed in each of the hospitals um, there was no way for all of these folks to reach out and talk to other uh, councils within their hospitals and so we thought well let's just create them a website you know it's let's do something bigger than a facebook group let's have a, an actual thing where they can talk to each other we'll have a map where all of these stories are so that we have you know collateral we can pull stories from congressional districts um, and that website has evolved uh, when Matthew Wright took it over um, he just really blew it up and so uh, going from this little tiny little website to what it is now at speaknowforkids.org was was really cool to see and I think it uh, we really broke some ground um, at, at CHA doing that. Well I think that's incredible oftentimes uh, the right hand never knows what the left hand is doing. Exactly, exactly. And by pulling that all together, uh, they can see a much bigger picture and and see what works with that. Absolutely. That's why, you know, our worry advocacy leaders, we get them together and say, all right, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? Like, how does this all work? And so making sure we're sharing best practices. So when you get them together, are you also conducting listening sessions? Oh, for to sure. Learn more about uh, the things that may be affecting them now? 
Absolutely. So it's it's a combination of what what is affecting them now, what is going on in their lives, um, to learn are our priorities still the right legislative priorities? Not necessarily that, because right. we obviously put a great deal of thought into that. But what are we missing, um, especially on the state level? War, uh, Wounded Warrior Project doesn't do state level. Um, uh, government relations. We don't lobby on the state level. We don't take up state level issues. However, warriors come to us and say, well, there's this bill I've got going through my state house and we empower them to work on it themselves. If it's something that we approve of that we think will benefit veterans. And of course, we're going to let them um, talk about that and really kind of make that happen. Um, so, you know, we, we, we let them talk about that, but we also let them shape the program. Um, we know we're not perfect. We're not infallible. So if we're using jargon that they don't know, we're putting too much on them or, uh, uh, things like that, we want to hear about it. So really letting them think that they've got an ownership stake in the Warrior Advocate Leader Program is hugely important to us. Yeah, I think that's great. So what is the first word that comes to mind when you just think of the word advocacy? Oh, uh, <laughs> boy, the, well, I, I guess I'll just say the first one that came to mind is my life. Like I've been, I've been doing this a long time and I love doing it. I'll do it until they drag me out of here and throw me in the loony bin. So, um, it's, 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 it's really, I guess empowerment would be the next one. I like to think that we're really uh, not just us, but any organization, anybody that does this for a living is really empowering other people to raise their own voice, um, and really kind of energizing and motivating people. So that's what yeah, becoming, doing. becoming the voice of their community. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what, what are the biggest rewards in your job? Oh, it's it's absolutely fantastic when you see a warrior. Um, and as I've said, we've got a lot of warriors that have, have been through some serious things. Uh, and whether it's, uh, you know, back in district or in D.C., they they do that first visit and they walk out of there thinking that is not at all what I thought that was going to be. That was really good. I felt really good talking about that. I feel like I was listened to. And like you can see their 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 faith in in DC and the political process and their you know their own advocacy you can see that just getting sparked, um, and that never gets old. I've done a million flyings and it never gets old. Boy, I I wish every single citizen had the opportunity to go do a fly in. Absolutely, because yes. their respect a uh, for the institution. Yep, absolutely. And- what they have to see and hear and listen to, it always surprises me you know, when you bring new people. They're like, I, I can't believe how many groups are here today. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. And, and people don't realize that these staff and multiple staff every 15 minutes throughout the day have all these meetings. Exactly. Uh, but they're so dedicated and they're there from sunup to sundown and that it's crazy. Uh, I interviewed a scheduler once. And we estimated that there were approximately 17,000 meetings oh my God. every single day. <laughs> oh, man. That doesn't surprise me. When you take the number of staff, and of course, you bump it up for the Senate because they have much more staff. Yep, absolutely. You take the number of staff, and then you take 15 minutes a day, number of staff, start calculating that. You run it past 535 members, Yeah, <laughs> and, and you start to realize that's a lot of meetings every day. Yeah, and new people come and their eyes just glaze over and get big about everything that's <laughs> going on here. They they learn a tremendous amount. I think it's absolutely. I think it's something, think it's something everybody should know. And in fact, absolutely, there should be a documentary. Yeah, <laughs> on something like that, so that people know and understand it. That's exactly right. I mean, it's no, you're exactly right. Like I, you know, we bring people in and I've seen this time and time again, where they just, they think of 
my member of Congress is this standalone guy. They don't realize he's got 15 staff that are all working their butts off to get all this stuff done. And they'll go in and they'll say, well, why am I talking to this 15-year-old kid? But then the 15-year-old kid starts asking really insightful questions and being really passionate about it. And they, nine times out of 10, will leave that office thinking, I'm really glad that we've got kids like that really serving their country uh, by working up there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, There's so much power in the young staffer and their ability to be able to communicate what your people said, transfer that over to the next level and and to keep track of all the asks, keep track of everything that's going on. Uh, it's, It's quite amazing. So on a personal basis, what's the best professional tip you've ever received in your career? Uh, I would go with, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Um, I have always learned that, uh, I just, I have an intellectual curiosity. I love learning about random things that have nothing to do with anything. And so, uh, you get a lot of that working with wounded warriors where they just, you know, you're out there talking about, uh, four wheeling and you're out there talking about fishing and all of these things that I, you know, don't do in my life, but, uh, man, it's really fun to talk about it. But, uh, yeah, if you're, if you, if you're in the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. I think that that should be tattooed on everybody. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Listen, Justin, time flies when you have a great guest. Uh, Any final thoughts, anything you would really like to add? Uh, I would just say, uh, if you want to reach out, learn more about our advocacy efforts, uh, I can be reached at advocacy at woundedwarriorproject.org. And our website, of course, woundedwarriorproject.org. Please check us out. And um, thanks again for the opportunity. And, And by the way, folks, you have the opportunity to give. And people yes, think that they, please, yes. they they often have to give a, a lot. Uh, now, any anything you can give uh, helps advance the cause of the people that have been out there protecting us and our freedoms. Uh, that's a uh, that is a great way to wrap up today's engaging conversation with Justin Beelin, grassroots and constituent director for the Wounded Warrior Project. Justin. Thanks for being on the show and all the best to you and your warriors in the future. Thank you, Roger. I appreciate it. Let's face it. Today's advocacy arena is just plain noisy. Organizations are stretched. You need every advantage to make sure your issue gets the attention it deserves and your voice heard. The RAP Index is the best way to do just that by finding your stakeholders' relationships and engagement power. Get past the noise. Know who your people know. Go to rapindex.com. That's rapindex.com and tell them Roger sent you for a special offer. If you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts and subscribe to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. A big thank you to today's guest. I appreciate your time and the unwavering passion for advocacy you have. Well, that's it for this episode of Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Now go out and make it a better world. We hope you enjoyed today's Voices in Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices in Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.